Hello, and welcome to Matt's Music Class, the podcast for learning to understand music. I'm Matt W. Dayton, and today we have a special summary and review episode. We're going to practice listening for and using all the concepts we've examined in episodes 1 through 5 so that we can reinforce our beat sense and rhythm skills and review what we know about melody to get a sort of practical list of things to listen for and keep your attention on when listening to any music, whether it's a song you've heard and sung along with a thousand times or it's a style of music you've never encountered before. But first, I want to warm up our senses with an activity that won't require you to remember all the stuff we talked about in the last five lessons. We're just going to play a song together, where you'll play the rhythm accompaniment, and I'll take care of the melody. Let me sing you the song we're using here. It's yet another African-American spiritual called Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me. chariot coming for to carry me home now that's the chorus and there is a verse section but its music is very similar and has the same structure so we'll just stick with the chorus for this activity now let me sing slash play the song with the rhythm accompaniment so you can hear what our final product will sound like swing low sweet chariot coming for Carry me home, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. By the way, just to prime your ears for melodic structure a bit, this melody has a very straightforward structure, just a small molecule A, which repeats and grows more notes on the end of it, then molecule B acts as a bridge to get molecule A up to a higher pitch level where it grows those same lower notes on the end of it again, and then molecule B changes its ending to bring us home. Okay, now we're ready to play the easy accompaniment part, which is mostly just sounding the beat. It's made of seven ta rhythms, and a ta is just the same length as a beat, and on the eighth beat, you squeeze in two taps, which is of course a ta di rhythm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ta di. Then you just repeat that same pattern two more times, so it goes ta 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 five six seven ta di ta 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 five six seven ta di ta 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 five six seven ta di. But on the fourth cycle, you'll only do five tas and end the song with a ta di ta. So the fourth cycle goes ta two three four five ta di ta. Try speaking the whole pattern with me while tapping along on something that will make a relatively low, boomy type sound. Tapping your foot on the floor works well. If you have a hand drum, tap close to the middle of it. Since we're sounding the beat, we want it to feel like a nice low foundation of the rhythm. Ready, set, here we go. Ta, 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 five, six, seven. Ta, di, ta, 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 five, six, seven. Ta, di, ta, ta, ta. Ta, five, six, seven, ta di ta, two, three, four, five, ta di ta. Good. That may be the easier part, but it's the one that will really get the music felt in the body rather than just floating out in space. So even if you do nothing else with the song, sounding that beat will make the song more exciting because 
everybody will automatically want to move to it. Now see if you can remember this foundation rhythm accompaniment pattern while I play the melody over it. I'll speak the pattern softly along with you as well, but remember it's three cycles of seven ta's and a ta-di, and then end with a string of five ta's and a ta-di-ta. Rhythm and the melody. Ready, set, here we go. Ta, 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 five, six, seven, ta-di-ta. How'd you do with that? Want to try it a little faster? Let's just try it once, with the beats going about this speed. Ready, set, here we go. Ta, 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 five, six, seven, ta, di, ta, 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 five, six, seven, ta, di, ta, 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 five, six, seven, ta, di, ta, two, three, four, five, ta, di, ta. Cool. Now we're going to turn this into sort of a polyrhythmic accompaniment by learning a more complicated rhythm to go on top of the first. Don't worry though, you won't have to do both at the same time. I'll play the whole thing one time and then we'll break it down into its pieces to learn it. Here's the beat, and here's what we'll add on top of it, preferably tapping on something that makes a higher or sharper sound, like tapping your leg or the edge of a hand drum. Here's the rhythm. Ta di di ta, ta di di ta, ta di di ta, ta ta di mi ta di ta, ta di di ta, ta ta di mi ta di ta, ta di di ta, ta di di ta. Okay, this rhythm part really contains essentially two basic four-beat patterns. The first is this syncopated rhythm that goes ta di di ta. And notice there's an empty beat at the end of it, so that will be a rest. Try saying and tapping it a bunch of times with me to get the feel for it. Here we go. Ta di di ta, ta di di ta, ta di di ta, ta di di ta. I'm gonna call that one pattern A. And if you recall from lesson four, the reason I call that a syncopated rhythm pattern is because it extends that second syllable, ta di di ta into a long rhythm that lands in between two beats rather than on a beat. And since our brain normally expects important, i.e. longer than the surrounding, rhythms to land on a beat, this syncopation gives our brains a tiny delightful surprise every time it happens. Okay, so that syncopated rhythm happens twice, just like that, ta di di ta, rest, and then we do almost the same pattern except we add an extra ta at the end. Ta di di ta ta, which leads right into a completely new pattern with some shorter rhythms. Ta di mi ta di ta, rest. Put those together for an eight beat pattern and it's ta di di ta 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 di mi ta di ta, rest. Let's do this one a bunch of times together to get the feel for it. Here's the beat again, and here's what we'll call pattern B. Join me when you're ready. Ta di di ta 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 di mi ta di ta again. Ta di di ta 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 di mi ta di ta again. Ta di di ta 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 di mi ta di ta last time. Ta di di ta 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 di mi ta di ta. 
Okay, now we're ready to learn how the A's and B's go into the song. First, we do two pattern A's, then two pattern B's, which remember is the one that uh, is eight beats long, and round it off with two more pattern A's. Let's try it together. I'll call out which pattern we're doing. Just speak and tap along with me here. Pattern A, here we go. Ta di di ta A again. Ta di di ta B. Ta di di ta ta. Ta di mi ta di ta B again. Ta di di ta ta. Ta di mi ta di ta and A. Ta di di ta last time. Ta di di ta. Excellent. Think you can remember all that while I distract you by playing the melody along with it? Keep your focus by speaking your rhythms out loud, and I'll speak softly along with you here as well. Here's everything together. Pattern A, here we go. Ta di di ta A again. Ta di di ta B. Ta di di ta ta. Ta di mi ta di ta B again. Ta di di ta ta. Ta di mi ta di ta. How'd you do? If you were able to hold down your syncopated rhythm part for at least a little while, that's really good. A couple more repetitions and you'll be able to keep it going all the way through, so feel free to rewind and practice this rhythm task again. It won't be long before you can really feel the groove. The last thing I want to do with this song is add one final layer. Feel free to play the beat part or the syncopated rhythm part along with me here if you like, but see if you can recognize this fourth layer that I'm going to add here and bonus points if you can remember the term for it, which we learned in Lesson 5. Have a listen to this. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Did you notice what melody I added on top of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot? It was our old chestnut, When the Saints Go Marching In. And as I mentioned in Lesson 5, when you have two independent melodies, playing or being sung, at the same time, it's called polyphony. When it happens to be two different songs that just happen to mesh well together, as these two spirituals do, it's also called a partner song. Let me give you a chance to play When the Saints Go Marching In with me here real quick, uh, if you happen to have your keyboard handy. Remember, it just uses the pitches G, A, B, C, and D. So you should start with your thumb or pinky for lefties on G and rest the other four fingers on each consecutive higher key. That way you don't need to move your hand at all to play the song. I'll sing When the Saints Go Marching In slowly here and at the same time I'll play Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Uh, you try playing the Saints along with my singing. Ready? Here we go. Oh, when the Saints, oh, when the Saints, oh, when the Saints go Marching in, oh how I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Cool. Now our ears should be sufficiently primed for some close listening and recalling the musical time and melody concepts we've looked at in Matt's music class so far. Since the goal of this podcast is to help you make meaning out of any music you happen to listen to, I'm going to play you some pieces in very different styles and see how we can use the concepts and skills in our toolbox to hear and understand what's going on in these songs. The first piece I want to share with you 
was written in the 14th century. That's the 1300s, so the height of the European Middle Ages. And it's by one of my favorite composers, Guillaume de Machaut. The first thing you should always lock your ears onto in any music you hear is the beat, which is another way of saying the temporal frame of reference the song is using, right? So as you listen this first time, just see if you can get a sense for how this music is defining its time. Is there a beat at all? If so, is it being sounded by an instrument, or is it being felt and implied by shorter and longer notes, i.e. rhythm? Here's the song, Douce Dame Jolie. So, what did you think? Could you feel the beat? It might have been a little murky, especially at the beginning, when we might not have been sure if any other instruments were going to join the solo singer there, but after a few seconds you probably started to get the sense that even though the only sound is coming from a single, lovely voice, singing lots of shorter and longer notes, i.e. the single melody, there was a pretty strict, if invisible, pulse controlling the flow of time. The beats felt quite steady and were coming at a slightly brisk but still comfortable walking pace. A bit faster than a resting heart rate, but maybe about the speed of a heart quickened by the sight of one's beloved, sweet lovely lady, which is what the French title, Douce Dame Jolie, means. So the beat in this song is a strongly controlling factor, even though it's only implied and not actually sounded. Very subtle, Monsieur Machot. What else do you have for us? Why don't we listen to the first part of the song one more time, and this time see if you can use what we learned in lessons one and two about rhythm to notice any recurring rhythm patterns that you might be able to remember and possibly even figure out their rhythm syllables. Listen for any rhythm patterns that seem to stand out to you here. Aha, what's going on there? That ta-da-ta-dum thing happens quite a lot throughout the song, and if we think about it in the context of a heartbeat again, those moments feel like little palpitations or heart flutters, don't they? So how would you describe this little palpitation using the most basic rhythm formula, just the two words short and long? Listen to it again, clap it yourself, and try to describe where the shorts and longs go in the sequence. Here it is again a few times. Da-dum, 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 short, long, short, long. And now I'm going to sound out the beat at the same time so you can hear which ones land on the beat and which ones land in between beats. Ready? Short, long, short, long, short, long, short, long, short, long, short, long. So the first short lands on a beat, as does the second long, but the place where the palpitation really happens is that first long clap. Short, long, short, long. And it happens in the middle of a beat, in between two beats. Remember what it's called when you have an important note landing in between beats? Yes, indeed. This is syncopation, happening in the middle of medieval Europe, 
of all places. And since the short long short has to squeeze all inside one beat, the subdivisions would be takademis. Takademi, 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 takademi. Taking out that third syllable, the D, and extending the second syllable, the ka. Takademi, takademi, takamita. And you've got a one-beat heart flutter. Takamita. And the second time it appears in the melody, it's actually got two heart flutters right in a row. Takadi, takadita. One for the lady's beauty and one for her awesome henin, I guess. Now let's zoom out on our view of time in this song and see if we can get anything from listening for the strong beats, which will tell us the meter of the song, i.e. how the beats seem to come in cycles marked off by a recurring stronger pulse, which usually corresponds to, like, the beginning of a pattern in a melody. As we practiced in lesson two, try tapping your leg or something when you feel a strong beat happening in the music here, and once you can anticipate the regular recurrence of that strong beat, just count how many beats happen in between each strong beat. That number will, of course, be what we call the meter of the song. Try it out as you listen from the beginning of the song, and after a while, I'll come in and point out the strong beats for you. Strong beat. Strong beat. Okay, so I felt the meter to be four, but you can just as legitimately think of the song as having a meter of two, since a meter of four usually feels like a meter of two, just with an alternating ebb and flow among its strong beats anyway. But what's really cool is when we look at the meter in relation to the melodic sectional structure, which we learned about in lessons four and five. Now the large A section of the song is very straightforward. It consists of molecule one, molecule two, Molecule 1 again, and Molecule 3. And each one is 4 beats long, which is the main reason I felt the meter of 4 for this song. But then, the B section is marked by the melody going up to a higher register, i.e. jumping up and hanging out on higher pitches than it had been using before. And it uses a very similar pattern in its molecular structure. Molecule 4... Molecule 5, Molecule 4 again, and a variation of Molecule 5. But did you notice that these molecules are not all the same length? Molecule 4 is 4 beats long, just as we expect by this point in the song, but then Molecule 5 is extended by 2 extra beats. Not a whole extra cycle of four, but half a cycle. And this should make us kind of trip over our feet a little bit, especially because the repeat of molecule four right afterward should feel like an unequivocal strong beat, since we just did that one, but here it is starting on the third beat of a cycle rather than the first. Luckily, the variation of molecule 5 that ends the B section is also an extra two beats long, so it all balances out before the return of the complete A section. But let's listen again for the setup and delivery of this moment where the melody and the meter of 4 don't quite match up, as though we were gazing at our beloved, 
just a little too long while walking on the street, and then we have to quickly jump out of the way of an obstacle and readjust our gait. Strong beat. Strong beat. Strong beat. Strong beat again. Strong beat. Strong beat. And A. So there you have it. A seemingly simple song, just one line of melody, no instruments, no accompaniment, and yet, as with a lot of medieval art, there's a lot going on under the surface, if you know what to listen for. Okay, so if that Macho song was like a glass of wine, definitely an acquired taste, but not too hard to appreciate with the right mindset, this next example I want to look at is more like a chocolate chip cookie by comparison. Just a few innately appealing ingredients, so it's hard to put them together and not come out with something that's easy to enjoy, even if it won't be the most nutritious part of your diet. Nonetheless, anyone paying close attention will be able to tell the difference between the mass-produced store-bought cookie and the homemade family recipe with a dash of nutmeg, right? So this song is an instrumental bluegrass-style piece. Uh, There are no lyrics to it, but it does have a title, Stump Town, which I assume refers to Portland, Oregon. So perhaps Chris Thiele, who wrote it, uh, happened to be in Portland, or was at least or Portland was at least on his mind when he wrote the, this little number. In any case, let's start out by focusing on the beat in our first listening here. Is the beat sounded or implied? What kind of energy is this time frame evoking? Here it is. Now that was just the introduction of the main tune. The song goes on for about a minute longer, where the instruments improvise sort of ornamented versions of that same melody, and then there's a short section where the harmonies go to a faraway land before jumping back through a wormhole to reprise the main tune one last time. But until we look at the concept of harmony in later lessons, let's just stick with the main tune for now. Did you notice where the beat was? It should have felt like it was generating a lot more energy than our medieval song, and not just because it was about 50% faster. Listen to a little bit of the song from the beginning again, and try to focus your ears on the lowest notes being played. They're quieter than all the other instruments, so it may take a moment, but once you've got them, you'll be hearing the double bass, which looks like a giant six-foot-tall violin standing upright, and it's just plunking out the steady beat the whole time. Listen for it here. Now that's the main steady beat of the song, and the one that all the other instruments' rhythms refer to and play off of. But interestingly, it's not the only steady beat being sounded, and it's not even the one that stands out the most in terms of volume. For each of the bass's beats, there's this short, bright, percussive sound, generated by the guitar, mandolin, or both, covering all their strings with one hand and then kind of whacking them with the other, which lands exactly halfway between each of the bass's beat notes. And these in-between percussive hits stay just as steady as the beat itself, so they create a kind of anti-beat, which stands out more than the beat because it's such a sharp, bright percussion sound rather than the low plodding pitches that the bass is working with. This sounding of both the beat and its anti-beat tends to generate yet more energy, 
even more of an urge to move your body to the music than sounding the beat by just by itself with the melody. And it's very similar to what I briefly mentioned in Lesson 2, is called a backbeat, because it's generating accents against the main beat of the song. So this song is using a fast-paced beat while accenting the so-called offbeats to generate a very exciting danceable groove. What about its rhythms? Well, let me slow down the melody a bit and give you a chance to figure out for yourself what's going on with its rhythms here. I'm going to play just the melody with a slower beat, and I'll highlight the rhythms by also playing them on a drum. See if you notice anything familiar, like what's the main subdivision, tadi, takadimi, etc., and what rhythmic pattern stands out. If you figured out that the main subdivision throughout this tune is the takadimi, good for you. And even better if you noticed the syncopation used to break up the runs of takadimis every so often. Now besides the fun of all those short notes broken up by occasional syncopated longer notes, you may have noticed that the overall sonic picture in this song consists of more than just the main melody's rhythms. After all, there are in fact four different instruments doing things at the same time, the bass provides the main beat, the guitar playing the anti-beat or off-beat, as well as occasional chords drums like little affirmations or uh-huhs as the melody keeps going, the mandolin playing the melody, and the violin, which doesn't come in until the middle of the tune but plays occasional long notes to emphasize the harmony every so often. So this song has many more layers to it than the single melody line of our medieval love song. Does that make this song an example of polyrhythm? Well. Yes and no. Technically, when you hear full-blown polyrhythm, it should be hard for your brain to decide which line of rhythm to follow, because none of them stands out as more important than the others. They're all equally interesting, so none of them fades into the background. In this song, there is one rhythm line that stands out, the tune, played at first by the mandolin. If the beat and anti-beat, for example, had started changing and doing some less predictable patterns in the middle of the mandolin's tune, then it would have become fully polyrhythmic. But since all the rhythms besides the main melodies are designed to add texture to the background, I would say this is a tune with a fairly polyrhythmic accompaniment. Now the meter of this song was a totally straightforward four beats to a cycle, and pretty much everything fit inside that framework, so the last thing I want you to notice is this fun little thing it does with its melodic structure. Have a listen to the first part of the song again, and try your best to follow its large-scale melodic structure. Don't worry about its molecules, just follow the melody along and get a sense for where it goes in pitch space here. why I stopped it right there? What would you call that spot in the melody's structure? That was the beginning of the B section. The A section has this tendency to go climbing upward in pitch, and the B section creates a contrast by starting way up high and tending to climb downward. So now that we know where the A and B sections are marked, Listen to the full tune and pay close attention to where the B section ends and the A section comes back. I'll point them out as they come. A section.
repeat of the A section. B section. Repeat B section. And back to the A section with the violin this time. Did you notice that little joke the melody plays on us? The B section seemed like it was just going to keep going, even though it was approaching the same length as the A section, when our brains would be anticipating that it should be winding down. But it just kept, keeps climbing downward, waiting until the last moment to suddenly play two long notes on the last two beats and jump right back to the A section, this time taken over by the violin. It's a nice little moment that adds a bit of spice to what otherwise would be a standard mold fiddle tune. Okay, so we've looked at two examples from very different styles, but we used the same checklist of concepts to listen for to start figuring out how and why each of these pieces works. Always start with the beat, tap along to it, think about whether it's sounded or implied, does it have other layers like an offbeat or a repeating pattern that plays against it, and then think about why this particular song might want to frame its time by using the beat in the way that it does. Next, listen for rhythms that seem to recur or jump out as important markers. Think about what rhythmic subdivision, like tadis or takadimis or takides, is being played with in the melody, or in different sections of the melody. Then listen for strong beats and see if you notice anything interesting about the song's meter. Sometimes it'll just be a regular meter of four, nothing special, but sometimes you might notice the melody do something playful against the meter, like in the medieval song we looked at today. And finally, if you get a chance to listen to a song again, or if it repeats its main melody several times, try to notice its sectional structure. How does it mark off its different sections? What does the melody do to contrast its B section, for example, with its A section? And if you're up for a super challenge, you can get out your magnifying glass and listen for the molecular structure within each melodic section. See if you can find a recurring motive or even motivic development from lesson five. So next time you listen to a song, not as background to some other activity, but just to listen, try some or all of these steps to hearing under the hood, as it were, and see how much you can notice, even if it's a song you've heard many times before. I bet you'll find something interesting, and hopefully this will deepen your appreciation of the song. I know it does for me. The last thing I'd like to share with you is an example of full-on polyrhythm, and the way I like to listen to a song with that kind of complexity. The piece comes from Lampung, Sumatra, it's a nice example of Indonesian gong ensemble music. It's very polyrhythmic, so just finding and keeping track of the beat is a challenge even for me. So the way I usually approach music like this is to first just let the whole thing wash over me and try my best to clear my mind of extraneous thoughts so that the main thing I'm aware of is just the sonic tapestry coming in as a whole. After a few moments in this listening mode, I can usually feel around for a beat by letting my hand or my shoulders or something start moving to the music on their own, and then trying to notice how that movement fits in with some of the rhythms that might jump out uh, for a moment. Once I'm moving to a beat that feels right, I try to hold on to it for dear life. Often it slips away after a few seconds, but if I'm able to hold on for long enough, suddenly one of the rhythmic or melodic patterns will become clear, and I can notice where it repeats its cycle and then I can start following its thread for a while. And from there, I can usually jump onto another rhythmic line and start following it for a while, and it's like I'm traveling through this intricate sonic tapestry from the inside. 
It's a very cool feeling, and just like meditation, it takes quite a bit of practice before one can reliably find it. But once you get, once you get a glimpse of it, even for a moment, you'll understand why this kind of music is so attractive. Just have a listen and let this piece wash over you. As you may have guessed, that recording, entitled Tabu Kanilusawik, comes from a Smithsonian Folkways Recordings album. And if you want to listen to the whole track, check out the album it comes from, Music of Indonesia Volume 12, Gongs and Vocal Music from Sumatra. It's also on the compilation album Discover Indonesia. The musicians on the track were from the Kulintang Ensemble of Labuhan Maringai, Kabupaten Lampung Tenga, Directed, directed by Japar Raja Alam back in 1996. The other pieces we heard in this lesson were Macho's Douce Damajoli, sung by Catherine Bott for the album Renaissance Love Songs, part of BBC Music Magazine, Volume 5, Number 6, February 1997, and the lightning-fingered mandolinist Chris Thiele's Stump Town from Nickel Creek's 2005 album Why Should the Fire Die? As always, I encourage you to look up the full tracks and albums whence came the music examples in these lessons, and buy the music that you like to support the musicians who make it. If you found this episode of Matt's Music Class valuable, you can also support the podcast by donating a couple bucks to it on my website, mwdaytonmusic.com. Rating or reviewing the podcast on iTunes would also be super helpful. Thanks. That's it for me. I'll see you next time. Happy listening. <laughs>